us a welcome this morning. Now, on this Independence Day Sunday, I think it's important that we remember our heritage because sadly, we live in a time of revisionism where much is deleted from our nation's history, uh, things that actually aren't true are said about the founding fathers, and uh, a lot of things are being reported today, uh, including the church's involvement in the political theater. And I have to say, I think many today have been sold the bill of goods instead of being taught the bill of rights. And we need to clean some stuff up today because there are those who are saying that the First Amendment actually says there should be a separation of church and state. Now, let me ask you if you can find that phrase in the First Amendment. So let's read what it says. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right to, uh, of the people to peaceably assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances, and there shall be a separation of... No. Doesn't say that, does it? Now, I think in reading the First Amendment, we have to ask, have to ask the question, uh, how's that working out today? It's a mess. Instead of freedom of speech, we live in the age of censorship. Instead of the right to peaceably assemble, the right to violently riot is protected in our day. Instead of freedom of the press, we have a state-run media like socialist and communist countries around the world. And this implication that the separation of church and state is implied in the First Amendment, we have to recognize that this phrase is not found in our Constitution. It is not found in our Bill of Rights. It is not found in the Declaration of Independence or any of our country's founding documents. And the historical context of our Constitution is that England had a state-run church. And those who sought to gain the freedom of worship in England were often tried and executed as heretics. And this is why the pilgrims came here in the first place. And listen, this phrase has crept into the speak of our day under false pretenses. For this phrase, wall of separation, was quoted by Thomas Jefferson directly from Ephesians 2.14 in a letter he was writing to the Anabaptists to tell them, listen, we're not going to make the same mistake England did. We're not going to have a state-run church in this country. So you don't need to worry about oppression from the government. And then, of course, the First Amendment protects us for the free exercise of religion. Now, we also need to remember that our Constitution has been erringly used to silence the church in these last days. But the First Amendment does not impose restrictions on the church. It imposes restrictions on the government. Congress shall pass no law. Congress cannot write laws against the church. Congress cannot tell the church to be silent. Congress cannot tell the church what it needs to see as the morality of the day. Congress cannot tell the church to limit what they teach and which books they can teach from. And listen, in an age of revisionists, yes, amen. Revisionist history and the degradation of morality and the promotion of immorality and idolatry, we have to ask, what's our role today? What do we do? Do we contemplate our navels and go sit on a mountain and wait for Jesus to come back? Or do we move to Montana and buy ammo and water and wait for Jesus to come back? No, we get in the game and we get the church's job done in these last days. Now, listen, Daniel runs in some pretty elite company in Scripture. He is one of the few like Nehemiah and Joseph, of whom the Bible has nothing negative to report. And in Daniel chapter 2, verse 20 to 21, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are His, and He changes the times and the seasons. 
He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. And you know who Daniel was answering? Daniel was answering the most powerful man in the world, King Nebuchadnezzar, for whom he worked. And he told him, hey, Kingy, you better watch your step because there is a God in heaven who can take you out just as he allowed you to be raised up. Daniel was a man of God who was deeply entrenched in a pagan government, albeit against his will. But he was a man of great influence for good, even though he worked within a pagan system. You might say he was being salt and light in the midst of a country of carnality and idolatry. Would you say that God was with Daniel? Oh, yeah, and he's with us today as well. And we need to be salt and light in the midst of carnality and idolatry that's sweeping through our country today. And we're going to find in our text this morning that the institution of human government is ordained by God. And we also need to note that politics is a corruption of God's ordinance of human government. And we are living within that system, and yet we are still to be salt and light within it. So we have to ask the question, if the establishment of human government is God's plan, why would God want the devil's people running it? He wants us involved, amen? I mean, it's only logical. And listen, we become a very ugly country in these last days, promoting and protecting things God has prohibited, ignoring biological and physiological facts, and using feelings as a basis for establishing gender instead of those things. Our colleges have become indoctrination centers for socialist ideals, and college has become a life experience necessity instead of an education to be later used in life. And so this has led what we can sadly say in our day, where we have gone from being America the beautiful to, and here's our title, America once beautiful. America once beautiful. Now, let me say this, I love our country, and I'm proud to be an American. I am thankful to God every single day that we were born here and uh, blessed to be a part of what uh, God has done here. But I also recognize that we have to look back in order to look ahead and deal with what's going on in our land right now in the present and think about the words of our first president of the United States in his first inaugural address where he said, and I quote, the propitious smiles of heaven can never be expected on a nation that disregards the eternal rules of order and right, which heaven itself has ordained. This is our first president. Could you imagine a current president saying something like that in our day? And listen, there's a lot of talk today about revival in America and hopes for a turnaround. And that's exactly what we should hope for. After all, we are the people of hope. We are the people with the message of hope. We are the ones who serve a God who can do anything. And he, all you need to do is look back to what Jonah did in the city of Nineveh, which was a great city, exceedingly great, three days uh, foot journey in length. And Jonah was sent by God to the wicked Assyrians who would put people on a stick and skin them alive and put rings in their nose and set them on fire. They were notoriously wicked people who had no respect for life. So God sent a prophet to say, 40 days and Nineveh will, will be overthrown. And you know what happened? From the king to the commoner, everybody repented. And there was revival for a hundred years. God can do anything. He can turn our country around. And my prayer is that the reason that the United States is not in Bible prophecy is because a revival happens in the church and a great awakening happens amongst the spiritually dead and the rapture clears this country out from sea to shining sea. That is my hope for our country. But I'm not a fool. And I recognize the Bible said things are going to be pretty bad 
when it's time for Jesus to come get his church. And I believe, sadly, that in our country, most people have been given over to debased minds to do what is not fitting before the Lord. Because this is a digression that is presented in Romans chapter 1 in a culture that denies God as creator. In Romans 1, 28 and 32, it rounds it out like this. Paul writing, he said, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, do people not like to retain God in their knowledge today? What happened? Twice he'd given them over to their own thinking, and then finally he'd give... He'd given them up to their own thinking, and then finally he gives them over to a debased mind to do things which are not fitting. Are unfitting things happening today? Yes. And then things that are not fitting are described as being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are worshipers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. This reads like a checklist of American culture. This is exactly what is going on in our country. Think about the month that just passed. For a whole month, we'll get one day for our veterans, one day for Memorial Day. But we've got a whole month for Pride Month. So let me remind you, pride is a sin. Pride is the devil's sin. Where he said he would exalt himself above the throne of God. I will be like the Most High, he said. I will put my throne above his. Pride is a sin to say nothing of what is celebrated during Pride Month. And during Pride Month, there were parades where naked men would dance in front of children. Listen, if you were a heterosexual man and you dance naked in front of a child, guess what? You're going to get a prize. It's two silver bracelets tucked behind your back, and you're going to jail. But if you're gay, you can dance in front of children naked. Is that okay? No, no but that's where our country is today. Listen, there's nothing to be proud of in those actions, and we need to get back to the Word of God. Amen? So let's take a couple of minutes and revisit what made America great and what only a return to those things can restore what once was. Stand and read with me, please. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. We might skip verses 5 to 7 because they talk about taxes. <laughs> now, verse 1. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him, who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. And Lord, we thank you for our wonderful country. And Lord, we pray that you would move through this land once again. 
and that many of the things, even in the midst of all of our grievous errors in our brief history, Lord, that we would return to what the founders established and see the blessings of the land come upon us once again, mostly that your name is honored above all else. Lord, we pray that somehow we would play a part in that, if that is uh, your will to use us in that way in these last days. But either way, Lord, if judgment is imminent and coming, I pray that we stand for you until the end, until you come to take us home. We bless you. We praise you. We honor you. We thank you for America, even as it has uh, changed today. We pray, God, that we would be what you called us to be, as Daniel was in the midst of his circumstances in these last days. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, we have to remember the conditions under which Paul was writing. At this time, Christianity was thought to be a sect of Judaism. Uh, Judaism was accepted by the Roman Empire, and uh, inside Judaism were a group known as the Dagger Bearers. They were the insurrectionists of the day, constantly at odds with the government, and their motto was, we have no king but Jehovah. And this was the group that the Judaizers, or the uh, after Jesus, but the Pharisees and Sadducees sought to associate Jesus with, knowing this would put him at odds with the Roman authorities. Are we seemingly being put at odds with the government today? And we are looked at through those same eyes. We are the insurrectionists, even though we are the people who have the message that is hopeful and restorative to our nation today and has brought the blessings we've experienced on our nation uh, in time past. And we're viewed not only as insurrectionists, but do you know that as an evangelical Christian, you are on the nation's domestic terrorism watch list? When's the last time you saw a born-again Christian do some of the things we see happening today? That's not who we are. We are not uh, racist people. We are not a violent people. We are a people who serve the Most High God. Amen? Now in Luke 23, 1 and 2, we're told about a whole multitude who arose and led him, Jesus, to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Well, he was right. He is Christ, and he is the king. Amen? Amen. Yet when Jesus was asked if it was lawful to pay taxes to Caesar, someone handed him a, a coin, and he, and he said, whose uh, inscription is on this thing? And then he said in Luke 20, 25, Render therefore to Caesar's the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God. And in this, Jesus himself acknowledged the role of human government, and he saw it as a divine ordinance, and his stance on taxes were being perverted by his enemies to make him look like uh, he was an enemy of the state. Our stance on abortion today is being perverted to make us look like an enemy of the state. Our stance on homosexuality today is being perverted to make us look like an enemy of the state. Do we hate the homosexuals? Absolutely not. Jesus died for them. And listen, uh, somehow it, this has become the primary sin in our world today. But listen, liars and thieves and all these other people are in the same category. They're sinners who need Jesus. It doesn't matter the manifestation of their sin. And listen, if we're being treated like an extremist and a hateful bigot today, we have to remember we're in good company. We're in the company of Jesus because it's, that's exactly how they treated him. And this issue, I believe, has a particular relevance to those who live in a democratic republic, such as we do today. And so uh, people often say we're a democracy. No, we're not. We're a democratic republic. We're a republic by definition. We just said it in our pledge. And to the republic, for which it stands, a democracy is just a strict 
majority rules, that's it. But we have an electoral college which allows every single state uh, to have a voice in who elects a president. If it was just a, a strictly popular thing, then smaller states would have no voice in who gets elected whatsoever. So our system was set up wisely so everyone's voice counts in this republic. And listen, the idea of a human authority, of human authority, has a divine origin, and we are to be subject to God's ordinances. And those who resisted or opposed the concept are actually opposing what God has ordained. Now, let me just say this. There are people who say, well, you know, Romans says that everyone who's in authority was put there by God. That's not what it says. It says authority is God's ordinance. People who ought not to be there get there all the time. I'll just leave you to come to your own conclusions about what I may have hinted. I'm just standing up here biding my time until you come to the conclusion of who I'm talking about. People who ought not to be in places of power get there all the time, but the ordinance remains. It is divine in origin. God said, I want people in places of authority to punish evil and protect the innocent from them. Now, when God declares an ordinance over the earth, who is he going to enlist to carry it out? The heathen? No, he wants his people involved, right? And that's why it's a bit, uh, you know, Pastor Jack, I love Pastor Jack. He's such a dear brother. And he takes so much guff from the Christian community for being too political. He's not too political. He loves our country. He loves Jesus more than he loves our country. But he loves our country, and he gets accused of stuff all the time. Listen, I wish all of us had that kind of zeal for our country. We'd have a different country if we did. But the fact is, we have forgotten our history. Let me take you all the way back to the very first Supreme Court and the very first Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, a man named John Jay, who said this, on October 12, 1816, he said, quote, Providence has given to our people the choice of their rulers. And it is the duty as well as the privilege and interest of our what? Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers, end quote. Could you imagine if John Roberts said that today? I can't imagine John Roberts would say that today, but let's just say that he would. Can you imagine the upheaval that would happen? Look at the attacks that are happening on conservative Supreme Court justices today, especially Clarence Thomas, because he is a black conservative. Imagine what the left would do. Of course, that your Kavanaugh or Comey said something white like what John Roberts said. The liberal extremists who are surrounding their houses as we sit here today, the Supreme Court today just petitioned the state of Maryland to protect their homes because they have the right to liberty and the pursuit of happiness like every other citizen without people gathering outside of their home because they did what was legal and returned the abortion issue back to the states to make their decision. Listen, it was illegal what happened in 1973. And we have to remember that wasn't a moral decision, it was a legal decision. Now the issue is actually moral. But they did the right thing and righted the wrong that's 50 years old. And now they're being attacked for it. And listen, if they were to say something like this, that we're a Christian nation, and we prefer Christians for our rulers, they'd, they'd not only surround their house, they'd burn them down and probably execute them. Why? Because Proverbs 29.2 says, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, but when a wicked man rules, the people groan. we got problems in high places in our country. Now here's why... 
the concept of one nation under God established by our founders is so vital to both the church and our country today. And it's just this. Listen this morning, church. The health of the church will be reflected in the policies of the government. The health of the church will be reflected in the policies of the government. Is our influence waning in places of power? Absolutely. No question about it. And listen, what we need to remember as Christians today, because our nation is polarized and party divisions are like they've never been in our country before, even though they've always been present. Our party affiliation is spiritual, not political. And we are to submit to the ordinance of human government for conscience sake and because it is God's ordinance. But we not only are to submit to the idea of human government, we are to support and promote the idea with our votes and select and prefer Christians as our leaders. Why are we to prefer Christians as our leaders? Because that's what God wants. He said, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. Are we not to be a people of joy? A people of rejoicing? Is there too much groaning going on today? And listen, what that means is real Christians have to run for office and real Christians need to vote for them. We're not supposed to vote for somebody who's going to hand out free stuff. We're supposed to hand, we're supposed to vote for somebody who's going to uphold the word and will of God. Because the fact is, if the church were in great health, the nation would be too. And listen, I've been told time and time again, every time I say something about this or preach on this subject, someone always tells me or writes me or something and says, you know what, you cannot legislate morality. What do you think the Ten Commandments are? That's a legislative morality. Don't do this. You'll have no other gods before me. Don't use my name in vain. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. Don't lie, steal, uh, covet, all the other things that we know. This is legislative morality. And listen, in Deuteronomy 28, 9, and 10, Moses writes, The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself, just as he has sworn to you. Now here comes a conditional clause. If you do what? You know what that sounds like? It sounds like legislative morality to me. The Lord has sworn that he will establish you as a holy people if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. Then all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they shall be afraid of you. Is the government afraid of the church today? No, they're bossing us around and doing this and doing that. Well, they ought to be afraid of us in the sense of we are righteous and holy people. And listen, Moses is writing about the people of God. We're the people of God today. And people ought to know we are the people of God. And they ought to be afraid in the sense of having the fear of the Lord, at least a cognitive recognition that these people are walking differently than we are. And there's a power in those people that we don't have. And that's what the government is supposed to see in us, not bowing to their wishes, not uh, uh, adopting and adapting the practices of the world. Because the fact is, Jesus said, listen, the gates of hell are not going to prevail against the church. And this ought to be evident to everybody around us today. And listen, there's not one single group, special interest group in our country that can match the numbers of the church. There's not one. But we're so busy fighting about whether you're pre-watched, pre-sunk, pre-elected, or whatever, that we are just divided up into groups ourselves instead of operating as a single body politic that we'll talk about here in a few moments. And listen, this is why we've got so much groaning going on today. Pride Month, abortion, condoms instead of prayer is not just a reflection of our government. It's a reflection of a woke and divided church. Now listen, we've got the woke church today, but it's nothing new. It's just got a new name. 
Actually, what woke means is carnal. It's the carnal church. And Paul wrote about a carnal church to the church at Corinth. It's a church that's much more in line with the world than the word. It's nothing new. It's just reached new levels today. But God established government. We need to play a part in it. And we need to play a significant role, I would add to that. Now, look at verses 3 and 4 once again, where Paul says, Rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same, for he's God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and, what? Avenger, to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Do you know that there are states in our country, I think there's four in number now, that it made it illegal for police to pursue someone who runs from them? <laughs> Serious. If they run, you can't pursue them. It is against the law in four states in our country. It is becoming popular uh, all around our nation. Now, I have to admit, I would not want to turn behind me and see Mike Predney chasing me. I mean, I realize Mike's six foot eight. He's a big guy. But how ridiculous is it? How ridiculous is it? The, the things that are being promoted and protected in our day. You know, if somebody runs, you can't chase them as a police officer. And yet here the Bible says, you know what? This is what the, the, the law enforcement officer is supposed to do. He's supposed to protect the innocent from the evil. And he's a avenger of those who break the law. And listen, God has been using one nation as an instrument of judgment against another throughout the course of human history. And Leviticus says in 18, 24 to 25, do not defile yourselves with any of these things. For by all these, the nations are defiled, which I am casting out before you. For the land is defiled. Therefore, I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it. And the land vomits out its inhabitants. Now, there's nothing positive in that. The land is defiled. The people are defiled. And God drives them from the land because of their defilements. And he says to the church, he says to the Israel, and the same message is to the church, don't. Uh, defile yourself with those things. He just says to the church, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Don't touch what is unclean and I'll be a God to you. Now, Paul in our verses is describing the government's divine responsibility to stand against and punish evil. And doing that today as the lady who, by the way, as I said, I don't know who she is, but I do know she was quoting from Isaiah and talking about good being called evil and evil being called good. But the fact is, doing so, punishing evil today in the minds of many, is considered to be evil itself. Because many believe today evil should not be punished because everybody has the right to define their own moral code and code of ethics in their own minds. And I think we recognize that evil is at the heart of all war and murder and stealing and all those things. And this is all a result of the fall. And therefore the Bible has legislated that evil has to be stood against and when there's a righteous cause, even a war becomes necessary, a necessary evil, if you will. Now, here's another reason that we have gone from America the Beautiful to America Once Beautiful, and that is that the government has forgotten, here's our second observation, that human government has a God-given moral responsibility. Human government has a God-given moral responsibility. The job of the government is not to define morality. God's already done that. Yeah. Completely. The job of the government is to promote, uphold, and govern according to God's moral standards, and all who do not are going to be brought down. Will there be abusers of power? 
power corrupts and absolute uh, power corrupts? Absolutely. Of course, there's going to be abusers. Anytime humans are involved, even in something that God has ordained, there's going to be abuse of power and position. But we have to remember Psalm 75, 7. It says God is the judge. He puts one down and exalts another. The application of what Paul says here isn't just national. It's also personal. He says that moral, honest living will keep us from judgment. Now, that's a good thing. Amen? Personally, uh, as an individual citizen, but also it will keep us from the final judgment, uh, judgment day. We won't be standing at the great white throne judgment. Now, the government's job is to punish evil, and the church's job is to declare God's definitions of evil. And therefore, the separation of church and state separates those two entities that fulfill the whole ordinance of God. The government, and especially pagan rulers, have no business meddling in the morality of its citizenry, because they don't know. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural man cannot discern the things of God because they're spiritual, nor can he know them. And it's the people of God who are indwelt with the Holy Spirit that can have an understanding of the Word, rightly dividing the Word of truth, and speak to the culture what is morally acceptable in the eyes of God. The government doesn't have that capacity. The government has the responsibility to punish evil as God has defined it. But that's not what's happening today. We're redefining evil today. We're redefining even things like love. Love today is the acceptance of anything anyone thinks, feels, or believes. And if you don't accept how someone thinks of themselves, sees themselves, believes themselves to be, then you are evil. And Proverbs 14.34 reminds us that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Is sin bringing reproach on our nation today? Listen, we're not going to win the battle against abortion by voting people into office who support it. You can't be voting for people who support abortion. And there may be few in number who are opposed to it, but that's who we vote for. Yeah. Now listen, if our nation's definition of good and evil has altered, the church is responsible to alter it back by supporting God's ordained structure of human government and placing godly people in high office. And I'm not talking about election year Christians. You know, you, see, you hear the Bible verses start coming out around election time. I remember the famed quote of Al Gore, who said his favorite Bible verse was John 16:3. <laughs> he meant to say John 3.16, but I think the Lord was involved in this because John 16.3 actually says, he neither knew, I neither know him nor his fathers. <laughs> and that was Al Gore's favorite verse. Now, our faith is to be part of every aspect of life. And government has a moral responsibility to bear the sword. Therefore, the people who can determine right and wrong based upon God's word, the people who believe it, ought to be involved in those processes. Now, Amos 5.15 says to hate evil and love good. Establish justice in the gate. And the gate of their city is where leaders would sit in judgment about moderate matters of good and evil. And it is the church's job to put a man or a woman of God in such places. And the job of our government is to execute wrath on evil. And therefore, godly men and women are essential lest this divine responsibility be corrupted and abused. Now, one more little side note before we move on. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 to 12, Paul wrote, For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are what? Busy bodies. Now, those who are such, we command and exhort 
through our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul is saying this is Jesus' position. We command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they, hello, work in quietness and eat their neighbor's bread. No. Eat what? Eat their own bread. Listen, let me just say this this morning. This is going to give everybody the warm fuzzies. It's the job of the government to protect the people, not provide for the people. Is not our Lord the provider? He cares for all of our needs. God, listen, God does not want people to rely on the government for provision. His ordinance is that they work with their own hands and eat their own bread. And listen, we got a lot of stuff going on today that is outside uh, the word of God. Things like student loan forgiveness. You know what student loan forgiveness is? It's buying a vote. It's basically virtue signaling. And virtue signaling is somebody doing something that sounds good to show themselves as being compassionate when they're really not. They're just signaling virtue. Listen, these people who are passing money out like that, they don't care about your life circumstance or any of that. All they want is your vote so they can stay in places of power. And of course people, listen, of course people who can't work should be cared for. I mean, come on, that's a no-brainer. We're decent, moral people, of course. And that's why Paul told Titus, meet urgent needs. When somebody is in an urgent situation, the church is to meet their needs. And people who can't work should be cared for. People who can work but won't work are in sin. This is what the Bible says. And listen this morning, are you ready? God does not want the government financing people's disobedience. That's why Paul said, remember what I told you. You got busybodies among you who can work but won't work. And they need to get a J-O-B and eat their own F-O-O-D. <laughs> Amen? Now, look at verses 5 through 7 one more time. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render therefore to all their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due. Customs to whom customs. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. And Paul is just saying, you know what? It costs money to run the government. We are to support it as the church today. I think it's interesting that the IRS for 160 years has maintained what they call a conscious fund. And for 160 years, they've been receiving letters and the cash payments in the mail for people who cheated on their taxes and wanted to anonymously uh, submit the money that they basically stole from the government. This has been going on for 160 years. And one letter that the IRS received said this, I can't sleep. My conscience is bothering me. Enclosed is $50. And if I still can't sleep, I'll send you the rest. <laughs> now, Paul reminds us that our submission to human authority is actually an act of faith. He says you do this for conscience sake, not just to avoid the wrath of the government officials, but you do it in good conscience before God. We ought to be the best citizens this country has. Amen. And listen, in Joshua 1, 10 through 11, Joshua commanded the officers of the people saying, pass through the camp and suggest to the people, take a survey amongst the people. No, command the people saying, prepare provisions for yourselves, 
For within three days you will cross over this Jordan and go into the possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Now, as with Joshua and the nation of Israel, so too did the pilgrims who first came to our land. They came here for freedom of faith. Our forefathers sought freedom from taxation without representation. But listen to a segment of the Pilgrim's Mayflower Compact. Not compact, it's their mission statement, if you will. Quote, having undertaken for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith and the honor of our king and country, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia do by these presents, solemnly and mutually in the presence of God and of one another, covenant and combine ourselves together into a civil body politic for our better ordering and preservation and furtherance of the ends aforesaid. In other words, what the founding fathers or the pilgrims said is that we have to be organized, we have to have some political structure uh, within the establishment of this first colony in the northern parts of Virginia because this is going to help us our undertaking of advancing the Christian faith. And that's why we need to understand what Paul is saying here. Yes, listen, we've got some really sad situations going on in high places of power, not just in our country, but all around the world. But the ordinance is still divine. And we as the body of Christ need to uh, participate in it for the advancement of the Christian faith. Thomas Jefferson, the third U.S. president who was selected to write the Declaration of, the, of Independence, said this, quote, I have little doubt that the whole country will soon be rallied to the unity of our Creator, and I hope to the pure doctrines of Jesus also, end quote. Remember, Jefferson and, and uh, Franklin, Benjamin Franklin, are believed to be the two most irreligious among the 50, uh, 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence. But here it is, Jefferson saying our country needs to be unified, uh, rally to the unity of our Creator, and to the pure doctrines of Jesus also. And then in his inaugural address of 1805, he said, Quote, I shall need to the favor of that being in whose hands we are, who led our forefathers as Israel of old from their native land and planted them in this country. So here Jeff Jefferson is looking back to Joshua saying what happened with the Jews happened in America as well. We fought and were led to a land where we can worship God freely. And these two issues, freedom to worship and taxation, uh, without representation, were confronted a hundred years apart, but they were based on the single fact that God was giving those who sought to worship him a new land, much like when Joshua took his people into the land of blessing. That's what made America the beautiful, is our foundation is freedom to worship God. Now, in our text, we have to remember, no one was more despised at the time of Paul's writings than a publican. A publican was someone who collected taxes for Rome. And yet Paul said to the church, including the church today, that God has ordained taxation as well. Now, one thing to remember, the government has no money. That's our money. That's not their money. They're broke. It's our money. Do you know that initially when people served in Congress that they did without pay? They supported themselves. None of our Congress people were ever paid. And today, it's like people get elected to a living and forget their responsibilities as soon as they get there. And listen, the government has no money. They run on our money. Therefore, we need to be involved in the oversight of how our money is being spent. And listen, here's why this is important. 
Here's the last of our three observations this Independence Day Sunday. Honor within the church invokes national blessings of the Lord. Honor within the church invokes national blessings of the Lord. Now, we recognize that there's never been a day in America's history where every person in America was a Christian. Right? right. There's never been one single day where every single person was a born-again Christian. And yet, John Jay rightfully said, we are a Christian nation. All of our founding documents reflect the fact that the Bible was the unit of measure by which morality and governmental standards have to be established. And in a letter to William Bradford and the pilgrims from Pastor John Robinson of Leyland Holland, where they left from, on June 30th, 1621, Pastor Robinson wrote to, the Brad, wrote to Bradford upon hearing the loss of almost half of the pilgrims who first landed at Plymouth Rock and having died in the winter, he said to them, quote, Brethren, I hope I need not exhort you to obedience unto those whom God hath set over you in church and commonwealth and to the Lord in them. It is a Christian's honor to give honor according to men's places and his liberty to serve God in faith and his brethren in love orderly and with a willing and free heart, end quote. Robinson was saying, pilgrims, don't forget that obedience to God will bring blessings to your fledgling country in the realm, including obedience in the realm of paying taxes, which is, I'm glad I'm not preaching this in April. <laughs> now, Peter said this in 1 Peter 2, 13 to 15, therefore submit yourselves to all the ordinances of man that you agree with. No, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for what? The Lord's sake, whether to the king or supreme or to governors or to those who are sent by him, uh, as those who are sent by him to the punishment of evildoers. That applies to government doing its job. And for the praise of those who do good, for this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. What's our responsibility today? To do good and silence ignorance. And if there's a single group that ought to be standing beside the divine ordinance of human government, it ought to be the church. For in doing so, we exalt the name of our Lord and invoke his blessings on our land. If there ought to be a single group standing against corrupt politics, it ought to be the church. For politics is a perversion of God's ordinance of human government. And in this age of political activism, we need to be actively influencing our nation spiritually. Because the truth is, our country's greatest need is spiritual, not political. Our country needs Jesus. And we also have to recognize, now listen close this morning, our country's sickness was taught, not caught. It wasn't something to blew through our country like a virus. We were being taught to be corrupt. Our indoctrination centers, once called universities, have been corrupting our children. And listen, when they are taught to reject God and his word on every level, you can't expect to continue under his blessings. That's what Washington said. The propitious smiles of heaven can't be expected on those who ignore God's word. But rather, they ought to know that judgment is coming. And that's why Jefferson also said, I tremble for my country when I consider that God is a just judge and his judgment shall not sleep forever. And when the government stands in opposition to the free spreading of the gospel, it is standing in opposition to the Great Commission and therefore in opposition to God and therefore we ought not to obey them. We preach the gospel to every creature. What happens to governments that don't honor him? Well, Deuteronomy 26, 6 to 9 Moses said, the Egyptians mistreated us, afflicted us, and laid hard bondage on us. 
And then we cried out to the Lord God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and looked on our affliction and our labor and our oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with great terror and with signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and has given us a land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And I was working on a message this past week for our trip to South Africa. By the way, pray for Amir. He's got COVID. He said he's feeling fine, but he's got COVID. This is the third time. And uh, so he texted me during first service and uh, gave me the little smiley face and said, well, at least I'll have antibodies in South Africa. So <laughs> look on the bright side, amen. But um, as I was working on this message, and it's called the Fairy Tale Church, a church that believes in fables instead of facts. And this is part of the last days. And, you know, I personally believe, and there are those who disagree with it, and they have the right to be wrong, <laughs> that the letters to the seven churches are a chronology of church history right up to the end. And that would mean the seventh letter is uh, descriptive of the final age of, of the church. Because the next thing that happens after the letter to the church of the Laodiceans, that's the only time that that phrase is used in the address to the letters to the churches. This isn't the church in Thyatira. It's in the church in any of the other cities, Smyrna. This is the church of the Laodiceans. And the word Laodiceans means the people rule. It can also mean the people decide, which is completely consistent with 2 Timothy chapter 4, where Paul says in the last days, or there will come a time where men will not endure sound doctrine, but instead they will heap up for themselves teachers and be turned away from the truth and turn aside to fables, hence the title, The Fairy Tale Church. But the truth is, the church in Laodicea thought they were rich and had need of nothing. And Jesus said, you know what? Your status is actually lukewarm, which is vomitous to me. Because the fact is, I think we all recognize lukewarm water is good for nothing. It's not refreshing on a hot day. And it's not purifying like hot, like hot water for washing your dishes. Jesus said, your spiritual status is actually lukewarm. And he says, because of that, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. And then he says, I counsel you to buy from me staff, which was something Laodicea was famous for. He said that you may see your spiritual state. And what that says is that the church of the last days, largely, there's always a faithful remnant. Amen. The church of the last days will prominently be unaware of their spiritual condition. And he'll say, you know what? You need what I have because you don't have it and you can only get it from me. Now, when the church is being overrun by society or trampled underfoot by men, we need to pay attention to what happens after the letter to the church of the Laodiceans. The next thing we read in Revelation 4 is John, a member of the church, is told, come up here. So listen, when the church reaches the Laodicean age, which I believe that we are in, the next thing we should be expecting is a call from home. Come up here. And listen, I don't know what's going to happen to our country. I know that it's not present in Bible prophecy. I know that. But what I also know is that the hope for the future of the United States rests not in a person who can resolve the immigration debacle or who can resolve the health insurance catastrophe. And I know our hope is not in the one who can best keep us safe, nor in the one who has the best economic strategy. Blessings on this nation are dependent upon honoring God alone. And there's nothing else that can bring it. Can America be beautiful again? 
Well, not apart from returning to honoring God. And that's why we have to understand our role in these last days. God ordained human government. And he's still running things from his holy habitation. And for conscience sake, we need to obey him. We need to be salt and light in these last days. We need our voices to be heard. We cannot simply sit by and be all happy clappy and wait for Jesus to come get us, even though I wish he'd come today. Amen. We have a responsibility. We're here for a reason. So let's work hard at leading people to Jesus because the fact is, John Jay was right. And if we take what he said and extrapolate it further, the more Christians we have in this country, the better our country is going to be. And the better off it's going to be. Because blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and the people he has chosen for his own inheritance. Now, I didn't mention this when we read it, but the word nation is the word goy. Goy means non-Jewish people. So this isn't talking about Israel. It's talking about other nations. So we're not hijacking something that applies strictly to Israel. Blessed is the non-Hebrew speaking nations whose God is the Lord. The people he has shown for his own inheritance. Are we the inheritance of the Lord? Absolutely. And our nation can be blessed because of us. You know, we've all heard, I've heard it my whole life, you know, Pretty soon, Arizona is going to be beachfront property because California is going to fall into the sea. You even hearing that, right, after the big one? Well, I believe that the only reason California hasn't fallen into the sea is because of the church. And we are blessed, even as a, a corrupt state as we are, because of the presence of the church in this land. We have a role, a responsibility to bring blessing on this land so people can see we are the people of God and inquire, as, as Peter said, why there is such hope in us that others don't have. America, once beautiful. Lord, make us beautiful once again. Somebody say, Amen. Amen.